the whole situation with sex trafficking can be solved with stop buying sex because this is a supply and demand crime and the supply is the traffickers and the victims, but the demand is the buyers that are purchasing Mm -hmm. other people for sex. And if they would just stop that behavior, this whole thing would go away. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Nikolinko, and I started this show after finally finding my home in Christ. I grew up in a home with lots of abuse and addiction where Christianity became something that repelled me. I spent my early adulthood seeking God in other religions, tarot cards, psychedelics, and even myself. I didn't realize how much hell I had pulled up into my life until I came face to face with the dark side and Jesus fought hard to save me. Now I live to serve his will and host a platform where others can share their story too. If you're looking for a show that talks about real things and provides encouragement for those who have been to the dark side and back, then this is the show for you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this show with anybody else who might be encouraged by it too. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed family. Hey, good morning, everybody. So today we're talking to Heidi Chance. She's a retired sex trafficking undercover detective of over 15 years. She's put away hundreds of sex trafficking suspects and child predators for hundreds of years. Um, And we're just so excited to have her on the podcast today. We've been in a series uh, with ex-sex workers and just kind of talking about their testimonies and the way that you know, their vulnerabilities often lead them into this line of work. Their brokenness and vulnerabilities um, is often what, you know, ends a person up doing these sorts of things. So I'm so excited to have Heidi here today to just explain a little bit more about sex trafficking, um, the dangers, what to look out for, how to protect your kids, um, and resources for getting involved in the fight uh, to end it. So thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yes. Would you mind just starting uh, with telling us a little bit about yourself, um, your testimony? Like, have you always known Jesus? Is is he who led you into this line of work? Um, and just a little, you know, synopsis of, of your career getting started. Yeah. So I was raised um, initially Baptist, um, which was a little bit stricter than um, than most Christian churches. Um, but I am baptized and I was raised as a Christian. Um, my parents are both very um, involved in their church. I remember my dad being the director of Awana Club. You're familiar with Awana? No. Oh, some churches have the Awana Club and it's basically for young kids. Um, approved workmen are not ashamed is what Awana stands for. And mm. it's um, almost like a almost like a vacation Bible st- school type of thing, but it's throughout the whole year, um, one, one night a week. Um, and, um, you know, it's really a good program for kids, especially learning about the Bible, learning about Bible verses and, you know, what God has to say for our lives. So I definitely was raised Christian, um, very, very strong Christian family home. And, um, I kind of got started in this and wanting to be a police officer because of my father who was also a police officer and then his father before him. So I'm third generation law enforcement in my family. And it's kind of a thing that I grew up with and always respected and, and saw my dad as my hero. And so um, pursuing a career just like him was, um, you know, big shoes to fill. Um, But I definitely uh, sought after trying to make an impact on society like he had. Oh, that's beautiful. And that makes so much sense. Um, did he specialize in the same thing uh, that you did? Or uh, was he like general police officer? Yeah, I laugh because he told me not to go to that unit. Because mm. vice is very evil. There are, um, you know, things that you can't unsee. There are situations that you get put in as an undercover that are, you know, not appropriate. But it is one of those things that I was, I found my way there. And he also spent some time in, in the vice unit through his career. So um, he told me not to do it, but I did it anyways. Mm-hmm. And I spent most of my career in that unit. But I think that I turned it into a positive thing 
um, and obviously worked my hardest to get victims justice and and do the right things for victims who have been in that awful world. I actually love that you said that because when I was researching just sex trafficking a little bit, because I'm not super informed really with human trafficking or sex trafficking. So in preparation for our interview, I was on YouTube searching it up and I'm watching this documentary and I didn't even realize like you were in it like you were in this documentary uh the frontline pbs one yeah and you're just like a badass like jumping out of this car like running chasing people just the things that you did like in the hotel rooms where you know you're meeting these guys to to catch them um so i could understand why a dad would be like hey Mm -hmm. be careful with this because you're really like you put yourself out there um which is just incredible and inspiring and you you must have had the covering of god uh to do this yeah i think definitely he has directed my path helped me with um you know successful investigations getting victims justice i mean it is hard to do these cases because a lot of times you have juvenile victims who are in love with their trafficker and Mm. run away to get back to them. They're brainwashed. Mm. And then you have adult victims in the same boat, but they're even worse because they are kind of more attuned to that fast money and the addiction Mm. of that lifestyle. So when adult victims get out of the life and they're rescued, sometimes it's really hard to convince them um, that Working a square job, which is what mm-hmm. we are, individuals who are law-abiding citizens and not working in prostitution, um, to you know want to pursue that kind of lifestyle when they're used to fast money, yeah. traveling, no rules, doing whatever they want, alcohol and drug abuse, all of those things. So, yeah. um, you know, it's not just the demon of the actual trafficking that you actually have to actually save these people from themselves sometimes. Mm, Wow, that's a great way to put it. And so I don't know if you know this about me, but I used to work as a stripper. So, you know, that came with different things. But this was before I was saved, of course. And it was the same kind of conflict I had of like, oh, my gosh, I was used to making so much money and having a certain lifestyle. And it took a huge leap of faith and trusting God and learning to live more within smaller means. Um, But God blessed me in that, you know, and he always provided, even though it was hard and it was scary and an adjustment. Um, So I totally know what you're talking about with that Uh, and saving people from themselves that so this leads me to, you know, kind of the first question I want to ask just for the listeners who don't really understand. um, Can you explain what exactly human and sex trafficking is? Yeah, so human trafficking is basically um, it's, it's involving forth, force, fraud, or coercion, and it is either forced labor or forced sex. So that's human trafficking. Mm-hmm. If people get that and human smuggling mixed up, human trafficking, both of those two things, labor or sex, that's a crime against a person, where smuggling mm-hmm. is actually a crime against the state or the border, and it involves some element of consent. Um, so that's the difference between human trafficking and human smuggling. Now, someone who is being transported from point A to point B, being smuggled, if they are forced to perform labor or sex acts, then they can also be a victim of human trafficking. But Mm. really, just getting smuggled in is human smuggling, and that's different from human trafficking. Okay. And now, okay, so I kind of, I have, maybe this is a controversial question, maybe not, I don't know. Is this why, like, the borders are a good thing like would this make the borders a good because i know you know when trump was talking about building the wall and the borders like he was very demonized for this but then later on in learning more about sex trafficking um and human trafficking i started to wonder if maybe the borders weren't actually a good like protective mechanism against this so the borders have many functions um my experience is only from probably equal to yours i was an inner city law enforcement officer, so I don't really know all the ins and outs of the border, but that's definitely part of, you know, U.S. citizenship, the Constitution, upholding, you know, laws of this land here, um, Mm -hmm. and all of the dynamics of 
elections and voting and paying taxes, in addition to crimes like drug trafficking, human trafficking, all of those things, illegal arms trade, people who are deported are coming back. They shouldn't be allowed back in the country. They were kicked out. That's the purpose of the borders, um, mm-hmm. as far as my experience. I'm sure there's definitely a lot more to the border and all the ins and outs and the rules to that. But it's it's a concerning thing right now, the status of the border. Um, yeah. There's also, you know, issues of brothels and things coming to light yes. and, and doing investigations in brothels where we need Spanish-speaking officers and Spanish-speaking undercovers and all those things. From my experience being an inner-city law enforcement officer, there are brothels, there are illegal massage parlors, um, you know, with uh, individuals who are brought here from other countries and those yeah. kind of things that we would investigate. But we don't focus on the border. That's the, the um, yeah. HSI and the Border Patrol people. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, you know, and it's crazy, like, you bring up brothels. I remember this was a couple of years ago when I was still working uh, as an exotic dancer. I traveled to Spain and I met this girl uh, while I was traveling who, you know, we had this layover in London where we ended up talking for like, you know, 12 hours. And she ended up telling me that that's where she worked. She worked at a brothel in Texas. Um, And I had no idea that that stuff even like really existed slash, like you said, saving these women from themselves like she was like choosing this lifestyle because she didn't you know believe or know that she could do anything more or better with her life um and it was just so sad the way she described it like the way the women would line up um and a guy would come in and he would you know choose whoever to go have sexual relations with um and like that was her life like in this like underground dark scary kind of environment Um, And I remember that just kind of shaking me to my core and realizing that those things like really exist. Um, So I can talk about, you know, the other countries, the border and all that. But so much of it is existing like right here um, in America, just on our own doing. Yeah, so definitely there's um, there's some misconceptions about the consent or sex workers or the people who are in the life. And it's also a hard thing for juries to understand. So like when I do a a presentation or a podcast, I have an ulterior motive. I'm trying to reach potential jurors because I want you all to understand that this may be a situation where the victim doesn't even know that they're a victim. Hmm. Um, And they are not They don't know the federal definition of human trafficking involves force, fraud or coercion and what coercion and fraud are. Um, and how it happens to them, they may not even realize. They're not lining up to say, hey, Detective Chance, please come talk to me. We have to go find them. And typically when we're finding them, it's a negative issue with them being caught for something. The one Mm. thing I can tell you is that law enforcement, and I have a unique perspective with this because I've been doing this almost 14 years. Well, when I before I retired, I did for almost 14 years. I'm still in it. So Technically, we're on 16, 17 years. Basically, a victim could be walking freely down the side of the road with a phone in their hand, and I'm trying to tell a jury that they're a victim and that they're trapped and not free to leave. And that's really hard for them to make that connection that they're mm-hmm. not free to leave. And part of why they're not free to leave is because of the force, fraud, or coercion. They've been threatened, mm-hmm. they've been physically assaulted, they're scared that their family members are going to get hurt by this trafficker. Um, One of the main things I learned in my career is that a trafficker is the most reliable person you will ever meet. They threaten to beat you up. They're going to beat you up. If they threaten to take you to your mom's house, point a gun at the house, and depending on how they feel at that moment, they're going to choose to fire at your mom's house or not. They're going to get you in the car. They're going to take you to your mom's house, and they're going to point that gun because Mm -hmm. all they have is making victims believe that what they say is going to happen. And that whole part of this situation in combination with the threats and the violence, all of that is why these victims are not free to leave and they are trapped. And so um, it's super important for juries, judges, prosecutors, and even detectives who are working these investigations to understand all of that. Yeah, like that's what makes them the human trafficking victim versus somebody who's willingly participating in just the line of sex work 
Yeah. So, for example, I had an investigation involving a juvenile. She was 16 when she disclosed that this trafficker was pimping her out. She had spent five months in placement in child welfare. And leading up to her disclosing, we were able to still backtrack, find evidence, corroborate her story, and submit 11 counts of charges against this guy. Um, She actually testified against him on her 18th birthday. We were helping her transition from juvenile, um, from Department of Child Safety custody into what they call independent living. And basically Mm -hmm. that's where the the CPS, they still take care of these kids because they know they're just magically 18. They don't kick them out. They try to help them get an apartment, help them get a job, all of those things. So she was getting an apartment, a job. She actually was getting a full ride scholarship to ASU because of, you know, her victim situation. And so there was a scholarship for her. And Mm -hmm. Alongside all of that, and while that was happening, uh, shortly after this trial, um, we were investigating a different pimp that I had arrested in 2012, who was back out of prison and back to his pimping job again. And we were to the point when we did search warrants um, at his house. And when we went into his house, she answered the door. My victim that I had safe, that we legally helped her change her name, that was getting all of these things. She, at that point, made a choice to go back to that situation. We had her saved. Mm-hmm. She made a choice. And at that point, she needed to be prosecuted for what she was oh. doing with this new pimp. Wow. Um, so it is it is definitely a like a teeter-totter. Remember the teeter-totter when you were little? Uh-huh. Where you've got, you know, enforcement over here, and you've got law enforcement trying to take action and rescue victims. But at the same time, sometimes we have to balance it out where we are doing enforcement action sometimes um, because of victims that choose not to get out of the life. I mean, we we, we can't not respond to that. We have community people who live in those areas where prostitution is going on and they don't like people having sex outside their daughter's bedroom window or throwing condoms in their front yard. So we have to take law enforcement action sometimes, but at least in the time that I've been doing this, I have seen us evolve from just arresting the prostitutes to actually moving forward to asking the question that we were never asking before, which is what can we do to help you get out of this? In the moment of the rescue and then being able to back that up with a victim survivor advocate, placement, assistance, and actually helping them get out. If they Mm -hmm. don't take us up on that, then the next time we have contact with them, at that point, we've we've decided now you're choosing this option and you're going to have to suffer the ramifications and go to jail. Yeah, like you said, it's it's that balance. That's something I did hear you guys talking about. The the documentary, just for those who are listening, is called yeah. Sex Trafficking in America, the Frontline PBS documentary. And I did hear you guys talk about how, like, over the past few years, you've changed your um, focus or your, I don't know, there's a shift in focus from, you know, prosecuting the prostitutes to prosecuting the the pimps the traffickers but like you said if these women are choosing to stay in this lifestyle or you know not take the resources at a certain point there is going to be consequences for that too yeah and it's one of those things where people have asked me how do you feel about the legalizing of marijuana i don't really care one way or the other i have to enforce the law Whatever the law happens to be at that time, and prostitution is against the law, we're Mm -hmm. trying to help you. But if you violate the law after we already tried to help you and you didn't do what you were supposed to do, then now we have to take enforcement action. Quick announcement here. If you're enjoying this episode, please help us expand our reach by liking, subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing it with a friend. And now back to the episode. Something I did notice from the documentary, too, is how the girls um, that end up, you know, being sex trafficked and in this line of work of prostitution are often... um, like these young vulnerable girls who a lot of times are going through normal teenage woes, you know, like the the normal just teenage stuff that you go through. And then they meet these guys online 
um, who play he, they play on these vulnerabilities and they promise you know a life of travel like you'll always have your hair done you'll always have your nails done um this luxury lifestyle but basically it's it's all a lie um i don't know if you would want to describe or even if there is like a typical kind of victim um or if it could be just you know anybody so traffickers and another thing I want everyone to understand, pimping is their only job. All day long, mm -hmm. they don't go anywhere, they don't do anything except for manage the victims they have and try and find new victims to exploit. And so they're masters at seeking out and researching vulnerabilities in victims and finding that. So mm -hmm. for example, if you have a 14-year-old with an open profile to Instagram and they're putting out a post about how they hate their parents right now or they want to run away or they hate life. I have no idea how these traffickers are finding them, but they're they're searching all day long for individuals like that. And they're swooping in and trying to convince them to be lured away from home, run away, yeah. go with the trafficker. And so it's vulnerabilities. Youth are already vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Adults are vulnerable too when they're in a domestic violence situation, when they're you know using drugs, when they are um, unemployed, uh, have lack of family support. All of those things are right for the picking. These victims for a trafficker to swoop in and take them uh, to you know go go exploit them in other states and and wherever yeah. traveling around. So it's definitely easy for them to find vulnerable people, unfortunately. And we have a society right now where so many people are on medicine, so many people are depressed, so many people are doing mm. all kinds of things to medicate themselves. So it's actually really probably not that hard for them to walk down the street or click on a couple of Instagram posts and find someone to nurture into um, yeah. exploiting. Yeah, like the grooming them into that. I. I watched, I don't remember her name from the documentary, but um, she thought she met a guy who really liked her and she snuck out to be with him. And then before she knew it, she's in front of all these other like large, scary guys who are like, I own you now. Um, and that's not what she signed up for. She thought she was sneaking out to meet this guy who liked her and is going to save her. And no, it was an actual predator. And then he drops her off at a motel and is like, you have to work for me now. Yeah. And so that um, grooming process can happen overnight or it can happen over a period of time. It's really yeah. a matter of, you know, how skilled of a manipulator the trafficker is. But what it is, is, is these, this right here is your new white van. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> we've got people that think Instagram is going to make them famous and they're going to mm -hmm. make a whole bunch of money if they have all these followers or subscribers or whatever. And yeah. it really is an open door for predators, sex buyers and traffickers to walk right into your house and start yeah. conversations with your child. Um, I spoke to a group the other day and when I first started in 2007, 2008 ish, it was about 15 years old was the average entry into this lifestyle. That age is now below 13, and I've heard um, someone quote 11 years old. So parents wow. need to start with those conversations early on, like way before 11, especially if they're thinking about giving their child a device mm -hmm. or letting them play a game on the computer or letting them have a social media account. Conversations of, you know, I would tell them people are out there to hurt you. People are out there to do certain things to you. Yeah. If someone's talking to you about deleting our messages that I need to know about, if someone's encouraging you to create a whole nother secret profile that I mm -hmm. need to know about, if someone's encouraging you to speak in code using emojis and letting them know if I walk in the room that I need to know about all kinds of things that parents need to have those conversations in advance. And then also I'm not sure how old you are, but when I was younger, we had uh, a brick phone. It was like a big, mm -hmm. huge, big old phone. And we didn't yes. have, you know, the internet at our fingertips like we do now. And so the, the, everybody is reacting to this generation of people who did grow up with that. And, you know, it's, it's a whole different world. Um, my own niece 
was 12 years old and my sister thought she put parental controls on her phone and Mm -hmm. my niece was able to bypass that create an Instagram and had a man asking her for nude photos of herself. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there are tools out there. If you've ever heard of bark technologies or gab G A B B gab wireless. Okay. Both of those entities, if you use the code, a chance for awareness, it'll give you a discount, but they have phones. They have, um, you know, smartphones that look like Apple phones, Apple watches, you know, internet routers that, basically control what's going on on those devices and it will notify the parents that someone's trying to engage with their child inappropriately. Mm. So with the tools, with the conversations, with the expectation of and growing up with rules in place, that's what's only, that's the only thing that's going to help this situation with, um, you know, parents actually being involved with their kids and doing those things. Yeah, thank you for sharing those things. I'll definitely uh, link that in the show notes below so people can uh, click on that. Um, And also, going back to like these kinds of predators, something that was just astounding to me in the documentary too. I know I keep bringing it up, but it was just like... It's a great movie. (laughs) It was so good. And just seeing how um, you guys were all, like all the detectives were messaging these predators back and forth and just um, the kinds of conversations uh, that happen. I'm curious if you wouldn't mind breaking down just like, I want to say a day in the life of... I don't know if I'm thinking like the predators or like the the prostitutes, but just sort of what that looks like once a girl like does fall into that line of work. So I've had victims describe to me that they were forced to walk the streets and prostitute off the streets, also be posted up online. And I've had them tell me that they got beat up and assaulted because they didn't answer an ad, a text message for a date, or they wanted to sleep and a trafficker had arranged for a date to come and they weren't getting up for the date. And they Mm -hmm. were beat up over not being available at every second that a date would come. And so Mm -hmm. it's a really violent lifestyle. Um, They are very malnourished. I always talk about how sex trafficking is very transient. They're moving from city to city, state to state, one, because they don't want to get caught by the police, But two, because that's part of the isolation is keeping their victims constantly moving so that they can't get to know anybody Mm. at the place that they're at. Let's say a hotel desk clerk, that's a normal person that would tell them, hey, let me help you get away from this guy. They don't want that. And so they keep them completely isolated, constantly moving, very transient on purpose. Um, And so they're very malnourished is my original point. They they don't have a kitchen or a stove or even a microwave sometimes. So they're eating Burger King and McDonald's and Pizza Hut and Jack in the Box. And, you know, they're not getting appropriate food. And also I've had victims describe getting assaulted because they used some of the money they made to go get food and didn't Mm -hmm. give the trafficker all the money. And so they're not even allowed to use the money they're making to go get food for themselves. They have to ask permission to eat, to sleep, to everything. So it is an awful, awful lifestyle for these victims. And that's what's so hard when, you know, they're so bonded to these guys. And sometimes it's females, by the way, that I keep using male Mm -hmm. traffickers. There are female traffickers. Um, But they're so bonded to these people that they literally don't realize that all of the things that they've been going through are completely not normal. Mm. Wow. That's a great point as well. Um, yeah, because a lot of times like they've what, like fallen in love or the, the trafficker makes them think it's like they're in a relationship. Yeah. So part of the fraud and coercion is this, you're going to be my girl. We're going to be in a family. I'm going to take care of you. You just have to do this right now. Right now is never really a little while. It's always, you know, months and weeks and years. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things that all of the isolation I was talking about, keeping them away from their family and their friends, keeping them, um, you know, from using their phones or their devices, 
if you know they're actually literally slaves to these traffickers and they're not able to get away or contact family members or anything like that i put together a list on my website I call it my sex trafficking indicators list. Mm -hmm. It is an exhaustive list based on my experience as well as, you know, other people's experiences. And I just want to touch on a couple things, um, especially as a juvenile, if a juvenile shows up with a new purse or a new, you know, phone Mm. or a new gift of some kind, we've all been around long enough to know that no one gives you anything for free without expecting something in return. Um, so basically if a child shows up with expensive items or money from somewhere, people should be asking questions. Where did this, Mm -hmm. where did this come from? If they show up with a phone, even if that phone has a busted up screen and looks like it wouldn't work, if they can get on Wi-Fi, they can communicate with their trafficker and their trafficker can communicate with them. Um, hotel key cards, multiple hotel key cards. If that's found in the, the backpack, Um, you know, I always told my son, this is my house. There is no expectation of privacy in my house. If I need to take the door off the hinges in your bedroom, this is my house. I'll take the door off the hinges. That's living with me. So I would go through his backpack. He knew I would, I would go through his phone right out of his hand. If Mm -hmm. he doesn't give me the password, he no longer has a phone. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of those rules that you have to put in place. And you know, that's what protected him and he didn't have anything exactly. happen to him. Um, so yes. just having those things in place. Now, as far as other indicators, uh, do you watch Yellowstone? I did, yeah. yeah. So just like he's concerned with his cows and he's got the Y on all of his cows, he branded them. Mm-hmm. Traffickers do the same thing with their victims. They brand them with their tattoo. It could be a symbol. It could be their pimp name. But if you mm. see multiple individuals with the same or similar tattoos... That's a huge red flag, um, you know, that you might be dealing with or or having contact with a potential victim. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's kind of almost out there. I've seen victims with their their pimp's name on their face. Um, They do know that law enforcement's documenting that. And so they're kind of doing it under the clothing more often now. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it does takes officers who make contact with these people to document tattoos. So then that way we can search for these individuals later um, to help us find these victims. Yeah. Is there anything else like, you know, major red flags from that list you want to share? Well, I think what else I need to share is how to report it once you do find that you have a suspected person that's, okay. you know, that you know that might be involved in trafficking. Maybe it's like your neighbor's daughter or something mm-hmm. like that or your own child. Um, I would say that uh, we have the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Um, some states are creating their own hotline. Arizona has a hotline now. It's managed by ASU. Um, okay. There's also online places like cyber tips you can report to the national center for missing and exploited children Um, that would be where if you have someone sending inappropriate images to your child online on the devices Mm -hmm. um two points with that let me while i'm here on this if you do find something on your child's device and someone's speaking to them inappropriately or sending them inappropriate images recognize that some of these apps If you screenshot it, like Snapchat, it will let the other person know you screenshotted it. So take another phone and, you know, take a picture of it. Okay. Um, So then that way you're not letting the bad guy know that we know. And then I would not engage with them. I would call the police and tell 911 because they don't understand sometimes what's going on when you call the police. Tell them, listen, my kid is being lured to do certain (laughs) things that are inappropriate. This person's online right now. I have the phone logged in right now. Some of these apps, if you log out or it logs out, times out, whatever, you lose the whole conversation. Mm. So I need an officer here right now to come get this evidence off the phone. I want to pursue charges against this person. Um, Also, if um, let's say you log out and go into another app, that might close it out. They sometimes can delete these conversations from the other side. So capturing evidence for us is what I'm trying to harp on right now because I don't want to lose the evidence and I want to be able to go after this person. And for sure, I have had parents sign a consent form to allow me to take over their child's 
um, profile and I've had, you know, pet predators show up to meet who they thought was picking up, you know, the little little kid and, and the yeah. police are there and I'm there to get them. So oh. we definitely want to pursue those types of things and we need to know right when it's happening. That is not something I would call the National Human Trafficking Hotline for because there's a delay in the information going from there. I'm the one who's actually going to get it and work it anyway. So calling your local law enforcement first, that's a like in progress happening right now type of situation. This episode is brought to you by Raised and Redeemed Merch. We all love a good crew neck, high top sock, and oversized t-shirt, am I right? Head over to the show notes from wherever you're listening to order yours and support the show today. Can you describe, because you've spent lots of time, you know, with these predators, which is such an eerie thing like you know over the phone it's eerie enough let alone like now you're face to face with them and um can you describe like what they're like you know as you know a christian you believe in like the spirit world and all of these things have you ever noticed um like anything demonic about them like or manifestations or anything just sort of in that regard about these predators you know i've definitely met some evil evil traffickers um you know ones that offended on their own, um, niece, you know, their own relative, um, didn't have any remorse for anything they did, were very violent, um, only cared about themselves. Uh, I have met some pretty evil people for sure. Um, that's why, you know, sharing awareness about this and continuing Talking about this after I had retired is so important to me because I'm very passionate about everyone, um, you know, knowing about trafficking so that some of the things that I've witnessed doesn't happen to anyone else. That's super important to me Um, to get good juries so that we can put these bad guys away for hundreds of years. That only happens if we have a jury that understands what's really happening here, what's really going on and can see through the lies because I've had traffickers lie on the stand. Um, one of them even testified that I auditioned topless for him in 2008. <laughs> the, jury oh my laughed. Gosh. the jury laughed. That's not something that I was a school resource officer in 2008. So um, yeah. it's one of those things that, you know, they do lie on the stand. And I, I really want juries to, you know, hear the truth, hear the victims and understand the dynamics of this lifestyle so that they can make informed decisions. Because I know it's a big deal if you ever served on a jury. Yeah, I well, I didn't actually make it to the final cut, but I was called for jury. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it'll happen again. <laughs> yes. But um, it's one of those things that, you know, it is a big deal to put someone in prison for hundreds of years. I totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also a big deal for this victim to live with what happened to them for the rest of their life. Yeah, So um, it's very important that everyone understands all of the aspects of trafficking. Yeah, I heard how someone said too, like there's no difference between um, a sex trafficker and a pimp. Like it's the same thing. Um, And how, you know, you can recognize it too, because they like recognizing the traffickers, we talked about how to recognize, you know, if somebody is maybe being trafficked, um, but then recognizing the trafficker, uh, because they show off the money, they try to look. They try to look like pimps, like they really do. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a pimp is a trafficker, and a trafficker is a pimp. It's just a technical name, a more yeah. professional name to call them a trafficker, but they are a pimp, and a trafficker is a pimp, one and the same. So as far as telling a pimp, or you know, determining if it's a pimp or not. That's, you know, a little difficult also, because like I said, traffickers can be male or female. They can be, Mm -hmm. you know, juveniles. I've had a juvenile pimp before. And that's one other dynamic that I don't think a lot of people talk about. But just like the, you know, the, the father who has the car dealership and he's expecting to give his son the car dealership when he passes on or wants to retire to take the family car dealership. I think that pimping is a lifestyle that these individuals are growing up with their father's a pimp their stepfather's a pimp their uncle's a pimp their cousin's a pimp somebody is a trafficker in that family that 
they learned this behavior from because uh, it's really it's really a different dynamic. I've had many cases where I've arrested pimps' moms for interfering with the investigation, intimidating witnesses, destroying evidence, wow. hiding things, all kinds of stuff. And also, technically, I could have pursued a lot of traffickers' moms because they're benefiting. I can see in the financials where the traffickers giving their mom or their family member money made from the victims. Yeah. They have no legitimate source of income. So it's definitely that dynamic going on, I think, for sure, as far as traffickers. Um, they're very manipulative. The other thing that I've noticed in my experience is they don't stop just because we put them in jail or in prison. Mm -hmm. Um, they have jail calls, they have video visits, and now they have tablets in jail and in prison. And yeah. I even have a conversation. I could text my old pimp right now. He's in prison right now on one of my undercover accounts. And he's going to ask me to put money on his books and uh, wow. tell me to go prostitute myself to get the money. <laughs> so um, oh my they gosh. don't stop just because we put them incarcerated. And that's yeah. a whole other like lack of or a need. We need some work done in the prisons and in the jail to actually reform them. Because like I said earlier, I had a pimp that I arrested in 2012, came back out in 2019 and was right back to pimping. I've run into four traffickers that I arrested and put in prison in the beginning of my career that went back to it. So if I'm only one cop who re-arrested four of my traffickers, <laughs> Imagine how wow. many other officers out there are dealing with the same thing. So that's yeah. definitely another issue with this whole thing is they're not correcting their behavior, even though we put them in prison. So I want to tie this back to because like you've seen, you know, a lot of dark things and going back to the one of the first things we talked about, like your relationship with God has like you've always had that you've always known him um i'm curious how this line of work has maybe impacted your relationship with god or um if it ever like if there was ever a season of jadedness towards god because you've seen so many dark things or if instead it's done the opposite like strengthened your faith or what that's looked like yeah i would say that it's definitely strengthened me because i i know i'm doing god's work and i I feel like this is the purpose that God has created for me. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's that's definitely confidently known to me in my heart that um, I think that's where he put me in this place. It's given me more and more opportunities to um, do better things. And so mm -hmm. I really think um, he's blessing me with opportunities like having my own business after I retired and continuing to do this work. Um the opportunities like um, conferences contacting me or um, I just got contacted by Brains Magazine. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they want me to write articles for them. And wow. so I think it's really um, all these blessings and, and this future opportunities that keep coming is because mm -hmm. this is right where God wants me to be. Yes. Amen. I'm so yeah. glad that that's your answer, that it's just yeah. strengthened your faith. And I'm sure like increased your knowingness that you need him like you need him to make it through all of that all of that hardship of what you're encountering out there yeah absolutely i definitely um i see him needing me to do this work for him and and i need him to be able to do this work so yeah so i have another question and that would be just what would you want the young girls out there uh to know having Having seen what you've seen, if you were to, you know, address the little sisters of the world, what would you want them to know in regards to this conversation? Um, I would definitely want them to know that um, there are bad people out there in the world. Um, it's not like what you see on TV and that these people are going to try and encourage you to leave your family, leave God, leave your um, safe place, and just be on the lookout for that, because that is how this happens. And there are, you know, things that your parents might do to set rules and expectations mm -hmm. on you, and it's not 
because they're trying to be mean. It's because they want you to be safe and they want to do their part in keeping you safe. Exactly. Oh, amen. That's so good. Yeah. Well, Heidi, I don't know if there's anything else you want to share or those final resources, how people can find you, um, your business, a chance for awareness, if you just want to share all of that good stuff. Yeah. So I have my achanceforawareness.com. And on there, I have two things going on. I have, um, you know, my continued mission to share awareness to the community. I've created an online course that talks through in detail all of the things that we've been talking about and, and a whole bunch more. I'm actually having that translated in Spanish. And so I will be coming out with a Spanish-only version of my course. So then that way I can reach a whole population of people that have not um, you know, had very much awareness in this if they're non-English speaking individuals. Yeah. And then the whole second side of this is if there's any law enforcement listening. Um, I do want to continue doing law enforcement training. I train on um undercover operations, how to do some of those operations you saw in the movie. Um, mm -hmm. as a female undercover, it's very difficult to do those operations and get these guys in custody for, um, you know, the crimes, the sex buyers, as well as the traffickers. And so there's a, a whole strategy to all of that. And so I really like to share my personal experiences and I've taught several undercover schools where I've taught female officers, rooms full of female officers on how to do this, uh, mostly here in Arizona, but I want to expand that, um, to other states. And so I need agencies yeah. to, you know, want to get some training for their, you know, their officers, and I'd be happy to come do that training for them. Um, and then as far as investigations, I do travel around speaking on interviewing a, a child sex trafficking victim, because that's very different. Um, I'm a forensic interviewer, so it's very different from a traditional child sex abuse interview. Um, and then interrogating these suspects. Um, mm. I've sat across the room from traffickers that you know, tried to come across the table and get me and all kinds of stuff. So um, interrogating these guys is um, also important because there's a whole language of terminology that trafficking um, victims and traffickers use just to communicate things with each other and knowing yeah. all of that and, um, you know, some of the tactics that they do. I like to share all of that with law enforcement. So they can also... Um, you know, pursue these cases and, and I kind of have to pass the torch on to them to take it upon themselves to do these really hard investigations and these proactive undercover operations to get these guys. But I want to inspire them to do that. And then, um, like I said, I've got my indicators list, which if you text message 33777 and text the word awareness, um, it'll prompt you to send your email and then this will get emailed right over to you. And then on my website, I have my um, tips for parents and tips for teens so that you can print it out, download it, print it out and refer to it when you have these conversations with your child. Um, documentaries, uh, The Sex Trafficking in America, it is on Frontline PBS on their website, but it also is on YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. And then there are other documentaries that have come out if you've seen Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom is mm -hmm. a great, powerful documentary. It's um, it's what's getting human trafficking in the forefront of everyone's mind right now, and it's yeah. really impactful. However, it is a depiction of what happens internationally. So if you want to see what's happening here domestically in the United States, I would refer you to Sex Trafficking in America. Mm -hmm. But there are so many other documentaries coming out. Um, Wake Up is another one that came out recently, and Wake Up is okay. a really good example of a sex buyer this uh this sex buyer that's depicted in this movie i'm just going to tell you a little bit of it but you got to watch it but he's a it, it gives you the impression that he's a family man he starts with an addiction to porn he's uh, hiding in a room locking the door the little girl's knocking on the door daddy dinner's ready are you coming soon daddy and he's watching pornography and then it goes wow. to the ev evolution of him actually doing a date and so um, you know, it really shows the behind the scenes of what buyers are doing. And really, mm. the whole situation with sex trafficking can be solved with stop buying sex. Because yeah. this is a supply and demand crime. And the supply is the traffickers and the victims. But the 
demand is the buyers that are purchasing mm-hmm. other people for sex. And if they would just stop that behavior, this whole thing would go away. Yeah. You had wow. Sex trafficking. Um, so really diving into that movie in particular and, and learning from what this man shows you as far as losing his family, attempts suicide, all kinds of stuff. That's that's powerful, and I I hope that a lot of sex buyers or or men who are thinking about purchasing another person for sex would watch that movie, take it in, mm-hmm. and realize that's what they're doing to contribute to this problem, and it's going to ruin everything. It's going to ruin their family. It's going to, I mean, yeah, all kinds Amen. of issues, sexually transmitted diseases, a lot of stuff. So, um, it's one of those things that is very important that sex buyers realize because I don't think sex buyers realize what they're Mm -hmm. doing to contribute to this problem. Since you mentioned porn, how much is that tied into, uh, you know, the sex trafficking? Um, I would say that it is, it's definitely contributing to it. Um, Both, like I said, the dynamic of, of men getting addicted to porn and then that that's, what's causing them to want to look at an ad and call a girl over or go to a hotel room. I think that's where that starts. Um, but mm-hmm. also on the other side of that, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, individuals that are involved in the porn industry that, um, you know, are being forced to do these sexually explicit things, sexually explicit content online because of contracts and agencies mm-hmm. that are forcing them, threatening legal action, all those things. And and really, it's it's just awful that these platforms aren't being held responsible for facilitating all of this. And it's getting 10 times worse because it's, it's right at your fingertips. It's right here. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, well, we definitely need to more to go after these platforms that are hosting the ability for people to, to, um, you know, create sexual deviance in their life. Yeah. Bottom line, like these phones need to be closely monitored. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, Heidi, you're just amazing. I'm so inspired by you, you and I'm so grateful that you just came on the show today and shared, uh, you know, and this is just a fraction of the knowledge and wisdom that you have in this. So um, for the listeners who are listening and, you know, want to find out more, definitely check out Heidi's website. Um, you know, book her for a speaking engagement. She's got lots of great resources on her website. So Thank you so much for being on the show today, Heidi. God bless you. I just, I pray that um, you just have God's favor as you continue to go forward and, you know, get these bad guys. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to have you leave a review and share it with a friend. All information on how to stay connected with the Raised and Redeemed podcast can be found in the show notes below. Until next time, stay well and God bless you.